Good morning. The scripture reading today is Isaiah 53, 1-5. Hear the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the art of the Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So this is the claim that gathers us, gathers us together in this place. And uh, these verses, we believe in our Christian faith, speak of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But they summarize well this tension that we can carry. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Then the end of the reading, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This life that in terms of the scope of history and geography was relatively small. But our claim is that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. So we're introducing a series in the fall here that I'm calling Stories of Life and Faith. The title that I actually have for it in my mind is Your Little Life. Um, that just seemed rather kind of aggressive a little bit, you know? Like, I, But I want you to consider your little life and think that this claim that we are saying that the life of Jesus Christ, his identity and sacrifice is the hope of the world, what does this have to do with your little life? But I'll start kind of because it is the gathering back after the summer with the question, how are you doing? Is everybody Okay. It's not like a rock concert, you know, where you say, how's everybody doing today? And you all scream, not going to happen, right? Not here. Not this kind of church, at least. But are you okay? And everybody nods and says, yes, yes, I'm good. Thank you. I'm fine. But actually, the truth is, and not to depress you, that in a room like this, all of us here, in many ways, we're not fine. In a lot of ways, we might be. And some people might be having relatively good days or weeks or months or this year has been a good year, right? But you know that other side of the reality that you would say, no, actually, I'm not okay. I have these things that are on my mind, in my heart, or things that I'm facing this week or things in my family. 
Interestingly enough, you look across the room and you assume that the people around you, well, they're actually okay. You're the one who has difficulties. If only you had the stability of that life. Um, well, I can tell you as pastor in a place like this, particularly a church this size where I can know most people, um, nobody's actually doing okay. <laughs> I mean, on one level. We all have our stuff. And you think if you could, you know, trade your life for theirs, that... I mean, there's no doubt, even in a place like this, some people have more than their fair share of difficulty and suffering. But it's present in every life, particularly often those lives that you look at and assume, well, everything must be okay for them. This fall in stories of life and faith, one of my key interests is this, that as a group of many of us Christians in this place, uh, for us, but then hopefully for outside of the walls of this church, the relationships in which we have some influence, that prayerfully and considerately, intellectually, we could move the central question of our life from being, how are you doing, right, to, and this is a Christian question, to how is God present? How is God present in my life and yours? And then you move to other questions of life and meaning. Because, of course, as Christians, we believe that God is good, and loves us and is revealed in Jesus Christ who gave himself for the life of the world. This is all positive stuff. Oftentimes religion moves to the non-positive and the fearful. But Jesus Christ is not like that. So if God is present and is for us, I could be used as his instrument in helping someone, Christian or otherwise, to see God's presence in the world and in their lives. So much so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the question would not simply be, how are you doing? But in whatever difficulty is being faced, whatever sorrow, whatever transition in life, if you can become aware of the presence of this good God, well, then you can live. And then you can say, in truth, I'm okay. I've got this thing coming up and it's scaring me but I know the presence of God and I'm okay. Or I'm going through this tremendously difficult time or I'm facing this time of great joy. There's two pictures to share with you. I'll give you a a note right off the bat. They're not terribly hopeful, but they're literary pictures that are rather famous in English literature. The first is from Shakespeare, from Macbeth, and you know this. And I mean, those who've been in the theater know these Words, but they've become uh, almost cliched, if you're a reader at all. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. Do you get what he's going at there? In other words, your time is relatively short. And it might feel nice to strut and fret. And maybe you think back to the years when you strutted and fretted and kind of thought that, you know, you were... You were more for this world. But here it's a, it's a rather hopeless picture that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Life or it, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. In our world, in our culture, 
This, maybe not to put it in these stark terms or bleak terms, but this is what many people think. In the end, it's just nothingness and abyss and darkness, signifying nothing. History isn't headed anywhere in particular. Christian faith does not say this, though fearful presentations of Christian faith do not help necessarily to answer this. A fearful presentation would say, you know, would kind of shake your shoulders at this kind of thing. And then I've got a second. This is not as well known, but another um, writer and poet, George Herbert, who was influential to Shakespeare. George Herbert was an Anglican minister and poet, and uh, his writing, I put up kind of the old English here for you, so you can feel really, you know, hoity-toity and intellectual as you leave here. This is a poem, so Herbert's a a man of strong Christian faith. This particular poem, called Mortification, is from a book called The Temple. And it's a collection of his poems, and some of them are just so beautiful. This one is speaking about what Shakespeare is speaking about, the brevity of life and the question of meaninglessness. And look at the images he puts forth. How soon doth man decay when clothes are taken from a chest of sweets. See how he uses the image of infancy here? Your nice little nursery room with the giraffe decorations on the wall or whatever. To swaddle infants whose young breath scarce knows the way. It's astounding that this infant even knows how to breathe. They're so young and tiny. And then this stark image. Those clouts, these cloths, are little winding sheets which do consign and send them unto death. So he draws an image that the swaddling clothes of an infant, life is so brief that those are the same clothes that become the funeral clothes. When boys first go to bed, they step into their voluntary graves. You die each night, your consciousness, right? Voluntarily. And sleep binds them fast, only their breath makes them not dead. Successive nights. Now this you'll get. Hold on to this because tonight when you go to bed, you'll probably remember this. I think about this little, these little two lines a lot. When I go to bed at night and I go, holy cow, it just seems like I was just here. And a whole day happened. Successive nights like rolling waves convey them quickly who are bound for death. But Herbert isn't hopeless. Herbert actually holds on to Christian faith that he expresses in deep pictures of love and other poems, his relationship with Jesus Christ as hope. The Latin term for this is memento mori. It means remember your death. And that is a hopeful thing. In other words, you ought to remember your death so that you can truly live. So, this is in the world in which we live. That if pressed, and the key is not to press people, It's true, actually. You don't want to say to people, you know, but what's going to happen when you die (laughs) when they're just trying to enjoy their day? But it's also true that as we think of those questions of the, the wholeness of our lives, we're faced with this question whether there actually is ultimate meaning or not. Into this context, we ask this question. What does it mean to hope in Jesus Christ? Does it mean that you go to heaven and have your sins forgiven? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be? 
Sure it does. Hope in Jesus Christ does have to do with sin and forgiveness. You can think of it at times as heaven instead of hell, forgiveness instead of punishment. But, and I say this as a Christian pastor, I'm not trying to throw you into disbelief, though I think sometimes not believing can be part of belief. But I can explain that to you later. Sometimes we're so nervous about not believing that we wall ourselves into something and we never know the full value of our faith because we haven't entertained what it would be like without it. And we get scared for our loved ones when they walk away from the church or from faith when sometimes we need to let go because this faith is of value. And the more we can discover that and learn how to speak that, we have tremendous hope. So here's the question, and I'm asking it as a pastor. Do you really believe this stuff? This Jesus stuff? It's kind of nuts. You can see how some people would think it's made up. Consider how you or others are feeling in this world, these questions of meaning. And sometimes we're not aware of what other people are struggling with. Where this is all headed. Is this all headed anywhere after all? It's part of what it means to be human, that tension. And there's two ways of saying it that I really appreciate this language. This is a description of what it means at times to live in our world where we can be threatened by death. And this would be just in your head. It can also physically mean you're actually threatened by death. But particularly in the way you're thinking and trying to get through a day. You can be threatened by death and subject to vanity. So do you know what we mean by that? It means that all of a sudden you can be threatened by death thinking, well, I'm living this life, but in the end I'm just going to die. And then you face some terrible loss like the loss of a loved one. And many of us, and many of you have been through this, and, and the terror of that is not only that horrible loss, but that thought that is it only into nothingness. So you're threatened by death, right? That death swallows everything up. And of course, Scripture speaks to that. That death itself is swallowed up by Jesus Christ and his victory. But we live in a world where this being threatened by death is real. And second, and sometimes worse, is subject to vanity. What that means is you're living your life and then, you know, you're going to work one day or whatever it is and you think, oh no, here it comes, (laughs) that wave None of this means anything. So why am I going to this job I can't stand? Or I thought I liked it. but Subject to vanity, to meaninglessness. Now, into that, put this question. What does it mean to hope in Jesus Christ? Our faith has to speak there. It's easy to think that what it means to hope in Jesus Christ is that I'm forgiven. And that's true, but that's not all. It's more than your sins are forgiven. And it's not simply that things will work out for you. And it's blindness, really. And um, there's almost a childish, not childlike, which is good, but almost a childish ignorance in saying that things will work out all the time. Even the interpretation of some verses in Romans which can be used that way, but that's not, you know, 
I work all things together for your good, which the word your there, by the way, is a plural word. <laughs> doesn't mean that you, know, you individual, everything will work out for you. It's not that things work out for you necessarily as you would like. It's a much bigger and better picture than that, if, if we can get our eyes off of ourselves, It is that all things work out in the end in Jesus Christ the Lord. It doesn't mean that you don't suffer. It means that all things are reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. This is a tremendous hope. This is a positive faith. I've told you before about a writer that I really respect. He's African-American living in the United States. Well, actually, he lives in France now. But he's a bit of a, more than a bit of a civil rights writer. He has an article right now in the Atlantic. His name is ta Coates. And unlike many of those who've come before him in the civil rights movement, particularly with African Americans in the States, he uh, proclaims his atheism rather than his hope in Jesus Christ. That civil rights movement, a lot of it had, had some foundation in Christian teaching and theology, but Coates pushes against that. And interestingly enough, even though I would love him to know Jesus Christ, uh, again, another thing, how, how would a pastor say this? I'm grateful in a way for his atheism at this point because he opens my eyes to the hope of the gospel. He says things like, so he's writing about, say, a young African-American man who's been shot for no other reason than he's African-American and he was walking home from the candy store or something. And this man is lying on the road with a sheet over him. And Tanahasi Coates says, I don't want to hear about hope in that moment. Because there's no hope for him. See how his atheism allows him to say that? There's no better day for that man. He's just been killed. I share this with you because I can respect that argument. It's into that way of thinking that my Christian faith must find the way to say that indeed, in the end, all things will be reconciled without flippantly assuming some wonderful thing for this man who's been treated in this way. The Christian faith is a faith of tremendous hope in a world of tremendous pain and loss and death and sorrow. But the promise is, and you know it from Scripture, don't you, those who know Scripture, that one day every tear will be wiped away. But I will not be able to speak that truth if I treat Ta-Nehisi Coates like an opponent. I must seek to see how my faith helps me see the presence of God in his life, even as he denies the existence of God. He's not a threat to God, if you truly believe in God. And he is one who is loved by God. And he can open my eyes to the reality of the world in a way that others couldn't. So this series, as we look at Isaiah 53, and it's the reason I wanted it read as introductory to this series, was to look at Jesus' little life, right? Nothing that would attract us to him. And yet, he's the peace of the world. So the question then would be to think of your little life and what meaning lies there. We will, here's how we're going to structure our Sundays in the fall. 
unless it just bombs and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll rework it. We're gonna, you're going to hear stories of faith in life. I'm going to tell you a story each week about somebody's life who has had a connection to this congregation. If I'm going to tell your story, you'll know in advance. I'll ask you, okay? And we'll try not to take out all the naughty bits, the nasty parts. Because, you know, then it would just be a pretend story about someone who doesn't exist. So we'll take time earlier in the service, each service, to tell a story. Next week I'll tell you a story about a young man who was part of this church for a number of years and is not anymore. I'm going to do it with this hope that I can help you see the presence of God in your life and in the lives of other people and see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A real life. How is Jesus Christ, he who we were not attracted to him, there was nothing in him that seemed impressive to the world, how is Jesus Christ and your little life connected? The hope of all the world. With this hope that you, in taking up this exercise and engaging with this, will feel this and know this, the abundance of life for you right now. And that's why today we introduce the biggest life over all of these is Jesus Christ himself. I'll say it in another in a minute again, but in my mind, and this is from some theology that I read and certainly scriptural, Jesus Christ is the one true human. He shows us what it means to be human. To be alive, to love, to be present, to be present as God intended and to live in relationship with the Father. But each life, including your little life, has about it the revelation of God first. If God speaks here and now, then one of the ways in which I will see God speaking and hear God speaking is by listening to your life. And watch how this can happen. Some of us were celebrating Ross and Carol's 50th yesterday. Every time you gather for something like that, you have the opportunity to listen to another person's life. And if you listen with the ears of faith, you might just hear God speaking. The longing of the human heart, the faithfulness of God, your little life even, here and now. So Friday, I meet with someone, not part of this church, honestly. So I can say this, but someone who knows me as a minister and wanted to come talk to me, and they had one question, am I cursed? Interesting, isn't it? 2017. I've had all these bad things happen to me, and I know the Bible a little bit, and from some of the verses I know, maybe I'm cursed. And I was able to say, oh, no, you're not cursed. And talk about the love of Jesus Christ. And what happened in that time when we met, about an hour, in listening to this person's life, my eyes were open to the presence of God. And, and it happened both ways, and it was such an encouraging time. You just witnessed it here with Barbara Smith up here. I mean, it's just a Sunday, and here's Barbara giving a little reading a bit, and it was she did a nice job, and you can say, she did a really good job. Bob, Barbara did a great job. And so there's this thing actually happening here. But in the eyes of God over our lives, Barbara is moving from one part of her Christian service to another. 
And somebody like me and many of you can think back to many years of Barbara serving and being an example for us and responding to God's presence in her life. And you realize that each life is a revelation. And Jesus Christ, secondly, is the one true human. So our little lives, Jesus Christ is the one who shows us that God is revealed. Jesus Christ shows us God's character and his love for all humanity. What it means to be human is revealed. And finally, in considering your little life, I'm going to tell you the truth because I know what you're really concerned about. And what you're really concerned about is the future. Some of you have deep concerns over the past if you have regrets. But even those can translate into, because I have these regrets, what, the, what is the future going to look like? Here's where some or maybe all of your biggest fears arise. The future. Want me to start naming some of them? I mean, this is one of those times where as a minister, you just, like, if some supernatural thing could happen, and just little, like, um, text bubbles went above everybody's head in the room, and God just went, whoop, I'm going to show everybody what everybody's actually worried about. I do the same thing. But here's the truth of Christian faith. And this is a, not necessarily the easiest teaching to get. It, it, if, if you get it, it's kind of revealed by the Holy Spirit. In Christian faith, our perception of reality is to be guided not by our future, like what's going to happen to me tomorrow. God cares about that. Trust, trust me on that. And he's faithful. But our perception of reality is not to be guided by our future and our fear or whatever security we can garner up and tell ourselves that everything is okay. Our perception of reality is to be guided not by that future. Our perception of reality comes from Jesus Christ and his future. And in him, all things will be reconciled. He has brought us peace. So what can stand against you? It is not my life thinking, one, two, three, I'm okay now. It is rather in Jesus Christ all things will be reconciled. Colossians 3.20 Through Jesus Christ God will reconcile to himself all things in heaven and on earth, making peace through the cross. That's the Christian promise. Forgiveness of sins is a part of that. But this promise is much bigger. So your little life now threatened by death and subject to vanity. And then where religion is bad, and not all religion is bad, much is good, but we can remember the bad stuff sometimes easier. People are threatened by death and subject to vanity, and religion comes along and starts yelling at them. And back in the day when guilt and and control worked, the yelling worked. It could keep them in for a while. But now, by the grace of God, living in a world where guilt doesn't necessarily work and shouldn't probably be used, people still feel threatened by death and subject to vanity. How are we going to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ into that world? The truth of the Christian faith is so much better than any fear 
So here's what I'd like you to do over the next number of weeks. First of all, come and hear the stories of people's lives. I think you'll be interested in them. I mean, the lives of people in this room and people who have been here and come and go, there's, our lives are interesting. You might think your life is just a little life. But I'm going to ask you to engage in the way that you listen. If you can do that, and I'll give you the, the interpretive key, I'm telling the story to help you discern the presence of God in a life. If you can engage and listen with that same question, Dear God, help me to see your presence in this life and in my life, then I pretty much can guarantee, hopefully not sounding arrogant, that I can actually help you to see that. If you are praying for it, the Holy Spirit will do the work. But I think as pastor in my listening and speaking, we can help one another see the presence of God in the lives of others and in our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we will put our faith in him. And we will know abundant life. What does it mean that all things will be reconciled? So that's what I'm going to leave with you today. Just that simple question. Can you carry this with you this week? Here's your homework. As you walk around, as you leave this place, try it even as you come for lunch. Would you come for lunch, please? Come for lunch. Ask yourself this question in prayer. Ask God this question, and in your own mind, yourself. What does it mean that all things will be reconciled in Jesus Christ? And see how that alters how you listen to somebody talking to you. See how that alters your view of the world. In the end, to quote Julian of Norwich, all is well, all is well, all manner of thing shall be made well. Trust in him. He is our peace. Let's pray together. I'm also going to pray for the offering that we'll take during this sending song. And then after that song, uh, I'll... uh, give the benediction, and also give thanks for the food downstairs. Let's pray. So open our eyes, Heavenly Father, to see our Lord Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. To know, as John's Gospel points out, that, Lord Jesus, you did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that any condemnation we have is our own doing. Our own failure to see this hope. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our eyes to know that in you, Lord Jesus Christ, though indeed we may feel threatened by death and subject to vanity, that is not the end of the story. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to see the abundant life that is in Christ. And help us to know what it means to witness to this life in this world. For our church, for our community, for this world. And Lord Jesus, for your glory. Bless this offering now, we pray. Bless the work of this church. That we would know your love and others would know as well. In Christ's name, amen.